0: Today, you're going to hear from some first-time buyer experts, and no, it's not just me. I was searching around the interwebs, trying to find people that could help you, give you information you could really use, and I found these two ladies. They call themselves two gals who are old enough to be your mums, and they're from Australia, and they're awesome. So I interviewed them, and I'm excited to tell you guys all about it. How I got them on the show was I sent them an email and apparently my subject line was a little weird, so they thought it was spam. You'll like it. Let's go.
1: What happens when you put your boomer uncle in a room with a couple of Gen X's old enough to be your mom? lots of dad jokes and plenty of advice and that's what we have for you today some wisdom from property experts who have been around the block a few times and across the ditch a bit further than the ditch isn't it but i hear you ask who is boomer uncle a few months
2: ago we received an email with a subject line oh my god you are my spirit animals <laughs> of course we initially thought it was a scam but when we opened the email and read i do what you do in the us Started my podcast March 2019. I have helped thousands of US and Canada first-timers. I would love to chat with you. So we checked it out and discovered an American man who reminds us a bit of ourselves, weirdly enough. He's been referred to as a boomer uncle by some of his listeners, even though he's not even a baby boomer, he's also Gen X just like us. (laughs) And then we met him on a video call. We could tell that even though the US property market is very different to here, there are some similarities in the lessons that old timers like us can share with you all. So here we are and Megan is going to introduce our special guest, our baby boomer uncle
0: to you right now.
1: Firstly, David, welcome. This is a lot of fun.
0: This is, I'm telling you, I love the fact that you made fun of me saying, oh my God, (laughs) my subject line of my email, but I'm sorry. I'm a Southern California American kid and I was literally just searching podcasts and I'm flipping through and I'm flipping through and I found like a couple new people in America that weren't very good and there was some good ones in the UK and then I found yours and I flipped my lid.
1: From down under. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you a little bit about David. David began his real estate career in 2005 and after serving hundreds of 1st home buyers in Southern California, In 2019, he decided he was sick and tired of seeing first home buyers being treated like garbage by the real estate industry. He kept seeing them passed over by the experienced realtors and used as guinea pigs for brand new agents getting their feet wet. We've seen that here and learning the trade, if you like. Well, he didn't have time to retrain the entire industry as we'd all like to, so he decided to start How to Buy a Home Podcast and peel back the curtain for first-time buyers. Let them know the insider secrets and let them find the rare professionals that would give them service, the service they deserve. Now with almost 800,000 downloads and hours of free education and videos at howtobuyahome.com, the revolution has begun. And first-timers all over the US and Canada are getting empowered with real expertise from a true advocate All frustrated renters seeking real quality information and guidance. David,
0: awesome. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how much fun it was to find my two moms down under. (laughs) (laughs) Your passion and fun and vibrance, I went, it was great because I've got kids that are 16 and 12 and when they come home and tell me that the brilliance their teachers just taught them. You mean the same thing I've been saying for 16 years? <laughs> it's when someone yeah. else says it, isn't it? <laughs> so it's phenomenal that I've got you. I mean, I'm telling all my listeners, I'm like, go to your first home buyer guide podcast and listen to the moms because <laughs> they're spitting the same facts that I've been spitting for so long. And I love it. And I really love talking to you guys. This is going to be fun. <laughs> There's some, some
1: real differences between the US and Australia. I think we want to really point that out because this is not about – us giving advice to each other's listeners. It's actually there's some underlying strategies and some mindset that is common across all first-time buyers. And that's really the essence of what we wanted to share, isn't it? Because it's about having a mindset, a really long-term mindset, but being able to make decisions now with the information that we've got now and where we are in the world today.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the times that we've chatted a little bit already we sound like a bad commercial trying to preach diversity, that we're all alike in so many ways. It's so different, the buying process there than it is here. And it's actually because of that difference that you have your homes appreciate faster. You have variable mortgages where we have fixed. But in general, the thing that really blew my mind when we were talking is just the one thing we see with first-time home buyers is the fear. The confusion, and then they start buying with this beautiful little phrase that we just kind of popped on. It's a present day mindset for a long term goal, and I think we can talk about that everywhere, all over the globe. Is a twenty two year old buys like a twenty two year old, and we're trying to help them and say, "Hey, crazy uncle, two moms here. Let's go ahead and buy like a Gen Xer, even though you're a Gen Z."
1: See if you can pull some of the experience out of our brains and use that to your
0: advantage. Good luck in there, but have some fun.
1: So I'm going (laughs) to kick off. I'm going to kick off with
2: one of my life lessons. This is almost like the Gen X's life hacks, right?
0: Yeah, I love it.
2: For first-time buyers, Gen X's life hacks, 1st home buyers, or present-day mindset for the long-term. And the reason that you've got to think long-term is because even though your first property, you might not own it for 30 years, or you might depending on where you are, But your first property, you will sell it and upgrade it and sell it and upgrade it potentially. And in 30 years' time, whatever you buy today will have counted, will have made a huge difference to where you are in 30 years' time. And you may not think it because I'm the oldest of the trio, but I'm still Gen X, but I'm three years off being a boomer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. three years (laughs) off being a boomer. I'm not going to actually say my age out loud, but I can tell you I still remember three decades ago, I was only a couple of years off buying my first property And oh my God, I could never have imagined the options I have available to me now as a result of making the decisions then. But one thing that I have learned, so this is my first hack of my three, is that the world never actually ends. So I still remember being in real estate. God, it felt like it a few times, is not it? I know. Think about what we call the GFC in Australia. What do you call it? The credit crunch? No, they call it the credit crunch in the UK. What do you call the GFC in the US?
0: The Great Recession.
2: The Great Recession. So that was in 2008 and I remember I'd just become a buyer's agent a couple of years earlier or a year earlier actually and I'm thinking, oh my God, that's the end of this career. But back before that, 9-11 happened, 2001, and I'd been a sales agent at that point for roughly 18 months and I thought, that's it, that's it. I've just started kicking some goals and it's all over now, that's it. And you do, you think that when you're younger, you do think every massive crisis I've got to Okay, down tools, that's it, all done. All my optimism, done. There is absolutely no upside here. It's like when people talk about property prices crashing, that's it, they're all done forever. They're never, ever, ever going to rise again. And there's been a few times through my life when I was younger when I have literally thought that, that's it, never going to be the same again.
1: And whilst things are never the same again, (laughs) I know, but they don't fall off a cliff and then just disappear. But isn't that the beauty of invention and, you know, something happens that you don't expect and suddenly you've got to go, well, what am I going to do with this? And is that kind of the basis of what you're, going with Veronica. And part of that life hack is it might not be the same as it was going to be, but geez, it could be better.
2: Well, it might. It's
1: just going to be different, but it's also not going to end.
2: (laughs) Not necessarily. (laughs) you know. So that's my first life hack.
1: What do you got, David? Come on, hit us with some of yours.
0: I was just going to add on to that and say, this isn't Bitcoin gang. This has been around for centuries. There was a statistic in the United States that said that since the Revolutionary War If you owned a property for 10 years, you never lost money since 1776. Now, the only time that that happened where there was one 10-year period on the calendar was when we had our Great Recession, but that would have been if you timed it awfully. What was crazy about our Great Recession was in 2008, everything crashed. By 2013, just five years, the market was back, and two years after that, it almost doubled just a couple of years later.
1: And that's the thing we don't often see in headlines, isn't it, David? And that's a really interesting thing to look at because Veronica says it herself. Sometimes people say, oh, this suburb is already gone as if it's not yes. going to have any more growth.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the negative cells, the skepticism cells. So for me, I think that the mindset, that would be my first tip is that mindset is so important, and it's finally getting some play on social media now. I'm seeing Gen Z. They're all talking about mental health awareness, and in the United States, PDOs are a big thing now. When you're interviewing for a job, you talk about personal days off, mental health sick days, and it's so funny to me that so many young people can understand the mindset to stay healthy, but they can't. It's hard there's more fear when it comes to a mindset to plan for the future. And I want to tell everybody, if you're feeling anxious, I've got the cure for anxiety. How about financial stability?
1: You know, It does definitely help. (laughs) Mm, It certainly does help, doesn't
0: it? So my personal story that I've shared on my show was when I was 21 years old, I rented until I was 28, 29, eight, nine years in the 90s. When I got into real estate, I did a spreadsheet that was $104,000 in 90s dollars. When I moved home from Hollywood back down to my beach town in Orange County, California, I got a $1,500 security deposit back. I could have easily purchased a home when I was 21 years old with maybe five dollars or $10,000 down, and my mortgage would have been exactly the same as my rent. And instead of moving home with $1,500, I could have moved home with hundreds of thousands in equity I could have rented that place out and had income coming to me forever one of the things that I think you do so well on your podcast is I spent a lot of time working on the mindset and the fear and the how to just make it happen because we have some ridiculous stat like 38% of people surveyed last year still thought you needed 20% down so I'm doing a lot of of hey Hey, over here, listen, you don't need to. What you guys do so great is you really get into the numbers and the mindset of this is for you, but let's think about the long-term and let's think about investing. And I think that's the great thing between the two areas, because you have those variable rates, you have to think in eight to 10-year chunks, where some of my people are thinking, one house down the street from mom, I'm good for 30 years. So that's where I love what you guys bring to it. Cause it helps me talk to my people about the mindset, which we talked about people having a present day, fearful mindset. When, once you understand you can get in now, let's figure out how this is going to work for you in the States. I think it's, it used to be every five years. Now it's every nine years people move. So people come to me and they're talking about 30 year fix, 30 year fix, 30 year fixed. And I'm like, Are you gonna live here forever? Are you gonna have kids? Do you ever think you might get a promotion?
1: You know, they never leave the hometown. They raise their children around the corner from mom and dad, and that's their life. But majority of people, people yeah, they throw, they're expanding, they're going out there and they're looking at other ways to do this and other ways to live. And I'll I'll roll into mine and, and mine really dovetails well with yours, Dave, and that my first life hack is keep it in perspective. Because from a mindset perspective, Whilst you need a long-term plan and you need to think about where will I be in five years, ten years, and we talk about this in various parts of Your First home Buyer Guide, you need to think about these things. But when you commit to an individual property purchase or an individual mortgage, and that's often the thing that people are most fearful of is a mortgage, which might have a 25-year or a 30-year term, you're really not actually committing to a 25- or 30-year mortgage, (laughs) Because most people in Australia, most houses turn over about every seven to 10 years. So the average turnover time frame in a mortgage is seven to 10 years. It's not 25 to 30 years. And you don't have to think about am I going to be able to afford this house in 30 years, these mortgage payments in 30 years' time? You have to get a little bit of perspective around how much rent am I paying? What are my costs? How does this look in the big picture? How long do I think I'm going to be here? Is this the right house for me for a period that might be seven to 10 years? And we talk about 10 years being, you know, probably around that right time because of the cost to get in and the cost to get out that erodes some of your capital gain. But as Veronica pointed out when we had our last chat, you know, the capital gains and the compounding nature of capital gains in Australia means that this savings plan that you develop for yourself isn't just about what you outlay on a weekly or a monthly basis. It's actually the savings that you're generating through the asset and the compounding nature of capital growth. And that is the absolute beauty of property. In this country,
2: absolutely. It obviously it's funny because you'd never buy a property in Australia thinking you're gonna be able to get as good a property for the same amount of money you might pay in rent. So it is there are some some key differences, but what you're saying there, Megan, is so true that people often are fearful of the debt and so think, oh, I don't wanna sign myself up for 30 years. I don't know anyone who's still got the same mortgage that they signed up to when they first bought their property, <laughs> you know, because they will either refinance or they'll sell up and move, you know. So actually, so I agree. I think putting it in perspective is so important. My next hack is you can always find work. Now I finished uni in the middle of a recession in Australia. In Australia, we haven't had a recession for 30 years, except for COVID, forget that. So, we have not had a recession for 30 years. I finished university in the middle of a recession. So, we're talking 90s, early 90s. We are 80s, I have to admit. Yes, finished uni in 89 and I'd had jobs all the way through uni, sometimes two or three at a time and I kept two jobs for a few years after starting my first full-time job as well and that was sort of my play money and these days you can add the gig economy and side hustles to the more traditional opportunities working in retail or hospo, right? Hospitality, HOSPO. And this is, we're talking to first home buyers at the moment in Australia who are worried about rising interest rates because we have variable mortgage rates here, as opposed to that really lovely gift of a fixed 30 year rate in the US. I don't want to joke. (laughs) What a joke. Sorry, our
1: listeners in Australia, but they can fix for 30 years, which I could go either way. But if you fixed in the last couple of years, you'd be absolutely laughing. You might keep that one for 30 years. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want to get rid of that one.
2: (laughs) But, you know, if you buy a good asset, we talk about buying good assets in Australia because you can lose money in property in Australia. Don't get us wrong. You can buy a dud asset, a real crap apartment in a massive complex with lots and lots and lots of crap apartments and it might be worth the same in 10 years as it is today or less and your rent will not cover your mortgage. So you don't want to be doing that. But if you buy a good asset that is going up in value, one that you want to keep, I mean, there's a bit of a saying in Australia that Australians would do everything to pay their mortgage. They'll eat tuna, <laughs> they'll eat baked beans for dinner <laughs> rather than two minutes. Go- yeah, and so my hack is you can always find work if you once you buy a good asset that's worth holding. Remember that things never do. My first hack is that life never ends. Well, it does, but you know what I mean. Things don't always. Whether you have a crisis, it's not all over Red Rover, right? So, because sometimes you have to ride out tough times is really why I'm trying very clumsily to say there, you can always
1: find work. So, anyway, that's my second hack. Oh, I like that one, Veronica. Because we all have, right? We all tried side hustles and increasing income when times are hard and we being in the real estate industry, it cycles up and down. It's not always great.
0: And understanding that, I think, because first thing I talked about was mindset because it's important- to adjust. And then something I talk about a lot, and my second little hack here is to realize that there's recency bias. You've only been thinking about this for two years and listen to your moms, listen to your crazy American uncle. (laughs) Let us give you all the long history so that you can have that perspective. And when you understand the history and the data of everything, and you realize you can actually see those cycles in black and white. You can hear that the GFC for you and the Great Recession for me was 2008, but we were back in America in five years. I think the perspective part of everything too, once your mindset is set and you realize it, well, how about this fact in data? You remember where we were a couple of years ago? The world was freaking ending and look at us and last year or this year, 2022, I've helped Thousands of people buy homes where a couple of years ago, there was nobody even wanting to leave their home or their <laughs> rental or their apartment. <laughs> and that perspective and understanding, if you have the real facts and data and not the clickbait headlines, not the people just complaining on your social media, not listening. That's the sad thing. Even with the news now, the news is still got to get you.
1: It's got to be sensational, hasn't
0: it? Yeah, the scarier the headline.
1: And often doesn't relate to the actual topic that is discussed in the article.
0: Well, right now we have so many headlines in the US. Housing's dropping at an incredible rate. Well, yeah, it was insane. It's like if you've got a scale of 1 to 10 and something's running at 11 and it goes back to 9.5, people go, oh, it dropped so far. Well, yeah, it had to or we were going to blow up. But the perspective is
1: nine and a half is still good.
0: Exactly.
1: And that's what's not sort of coming through in some of those sensational headlines and articles is, and Veronica, you talk about it as well, and we're not seeing it as greatly in Brisbane yet, but when you are running at 11 and you come back to nine and a half, it is still good because you've got to look back further, further and further to say, oh, look how far we've come since 2011, 2015. I had an auctioneer describe this really well,
2: saying basically, we were just driving down the freeway at 160 k's an hour before, and now we've slowed down to 120. We're still going fast. It just feels like we're going slow compared to 160. And we do, we readjust to our new reality all the time, but also, you know, it's so much more negative. Oh, it's falling. And it's interesting because you see these charts talking about data and numbers. And I look at these charts that show growth rates. And if you look at the rate of growth in a chart, they're really volatile. Your actual C as opposed to growth, so the rate of growth versus the growth. And the charts, it's interesting to know when you've got headlines and articles, which chart they choose to use. Yes. You know, the rate of growth, showing how the growth rate is changing month to month versus the price change. It's a subtle thing, but honestly, when you see those charts, it's alarming because they really go up and they go down. They're really, really scary. It took me a long time to wrap my head around them myself, and I consider myself an expert in this space.
0: I was listening to one of your podcasts, and I don't even know, it might have been two or three years ago, and you don't remember, but I think, Veronica, you brought up a book about this. Ah, uh-huh. how to lie with statistics. Yes, that was it, how to lie with statistics, which sounds like it's a horrible, evil book, but you explain that it's actually so that you can recognize what it's being done to you.
2: Yeah. And- you yeah. can get this. This was written in 1954, How to Lie with Statistics, right? And it is a really easy read. You can get it online. I actually found literally a photocopied version that had been scanned online. I didn't even have to pay <laughs> for it. So it's out of copyright, which is a bit sad. I mean, you probably could pay for it, but that's what was wor- popped up when I first Googled it. So I read this thing. Kent Lardner, who's our resident, our data geek here, he's the one to put me onto it. He read it at university and- Honestly, it's the best read and it's not a hard read. And once you read that and you get and understand
1: how things get pivoted and that's not even a life hack that was even in my list. But, yeah, I love that book. It is so true because if you look at a newspaper, you can have the same set of statistics supporting two different sides of the same argument. And I think that's so important to be aware of and it's such a good point for you to make because you can. You can read two absolutely opposing ideas about the property market but using the same statistics.
0: Which is why it's so important that we point out to people, not just in Australia or the US, but everywhere, that when you're buying, this present-day mindset is so important to realize that the people who are the most self-aware are the people who succeed. If you understand not just your fantastic things that you bring to the table, but some of your flaws and your blinders. And I think one of the things when people start hearing the stats that they don't realize is that I want to say to them, but I never do because I realize I will sound so pejorative and so talking down to them. I want to say, sweetie, you're 22, you're 24, you're 25. Do you think, and if you're still here and you're listening to this podcast, you're what, 25 minutes in? So I'm pretty sure that you've never been evicted in your life, that you're probably thinking about, and if you have, not a problem. We could still make that work. I'm just saying that the people who are here listening to us ramble on about this, you're in way better shape than you think you are. And you're only going to get better. Do you think you're never going to get a promotion? And yet, people buy like that mortgage today. And even though mine's fixed for 30, yay, go USA, woo! Um, (laughs) You know, there's just the fact that you could lock it in for seven or 10 or whatever you crazy Australians do over there. That's still a long time for your life to change. And if you're young and you're still listening, I assume you have an expectation of some growth and excitement and change in your life. So in five years, what is scary today is going to feel quite comfortable.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, exactly right. And it rolls into my next hack, which is if you get it wrong, you can recover. Because fear is one of the biggest things that stops people taking action. And sometimes it's what you don't know that you don't know that actually makes you take the wrong action. So, you know, that enlightenment that, you know, those ah moments and getting rid of some of the biases that you've developed over time. Veronica, our last podcast, 100, episode 101, I think it was, we talked about the four stages of learning and actually having to empty your brain of biases that might have been put in there by other people in the past. But if you get it wrong, you can actually recover. It's a, Fear is a huge barrier to action, but if you make a mistake with your first property, you can correct it. Now, hopefully, because you are actually listening to a podcast like this, you're listening to David if you're in the US, hopefully what you're doing is actually arming yourself with enough information that you can get it right. But that doesn't mean that if you've already taken the step and you're thinking, oh my God, what have I done? I think I've made the wrong decision. You actually can correct. You can get back on the right path. But it is about probably you might lose a little bit to get back on the right path and that's okay, but actually taking the action to get yourself on the right path, that is as brave as taking the first step in actually buying a property. And Veronica, we've had a student, a family actually, weren't they? They had purchased a property, they realized they'd made a terrible mistake with what they purchased and they made a very, very brave decision to exit that property. They put a plan in place, they educated themselves And then the property that they bought, they were doing your first home buyer guide, but they'd purchased previously. What they decided to do was actually fill themselves with the right information so that when they purchased this next one, they actually did get themselves on the right track. And that is going to put them in such a positive position financially as they move forward with their young family. It's interesting that because
2: time is your friend, obviously, when you make mistakes in property. And so that's another good reason not to keep delaying, delaying, delaying. If you are ready to buy and you're in the right mindset and all the rest of it, but the fear is what step in your way, fear of getting it wrong. Yes, you're in the right place. You're learning from two mums and your uncle. So you've got to minimize your opportunity to make a mistake, but you've got a runway there and recognizing and then correcting quickly is obviously in your advantage. But certainly I think too, that fear of making a mistake getting in the way of doing anything. And then actually that is the biggest mistake, not doing anything.
1: You know, it's really sad. Inertia. It's almost analysis paralysis for some people because they can't move beyond the what if. What if I don't have a job? What if I don't get that higher income? What if I buy the wrong property? So analysis paralysis is such a big barrier for people being able to overcome the fear and actually move forward.
0: There's so much of that with the people I work with here in North America and understanding the end of every episode, I tell my buyers because I didn't do it and I could have when I was 21, I tell them, you can do this. And I just recorded a podcast right now because we're at a stalemate in the US right now. Sellers aren't selling and buyers aren't buying and we're coming into the holiday season. So we're absolutely at just like, people ask me, what's going on with the market? I say, nothing. Like, actually, (laughs) nothing. No one's doing anything. So at the end of my podcast, I say, you can do this.
1: Is everyone just sort of looking at each other and it's a little game of chicken or a bit of a standoff? Yeah, it's a game of chicken. And they're Mm. sitting.
0: So I tell people, you can do this doesn't mean you can press play to the next podcast. You can do this means do something. So don't let the analysis paralysis get in your way. I will find people that will spend... Six months analyzing the interest rate.
1: Uh, a <laughs> <I> spreadsheet up.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I need to tell them if you spent one tenth of the amount of time getting your, oh, I love this phrase. You guys say your support team. I say team. And Now I've been throwing support in front of it because it's such a great adjective. If you spent one tenth of your time getting your support team, your mortgage broker, and your buyer's agent, that you spent analyzing and your nerdy spreadsheet for the (laughs) interest rate. The interest rate's going to change 50,000 times before you write an offer. So spend way more time understanding that getting that support team to give you all these other things to do. You spend all your time analyzing and being paralyzed with, what about this data? What about that data? Well, you should have been working on your credit score. You should have been figuring out how much debt you have and then people will pay off all their debt. And I'm like, wait, we we actually needed a little bit of that cash. You could have kept a little debt and you would have been fine. But they just get so locked in that fear. And that is something I see so often. And that's why I love what you guys talk about.
1: It's also- a really interesting one because <laughs> sorry, this is what we do. This is what we do, David. We go, bah, 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 bah. Um- We're getting a bit excited <laughs> I to love it. over <laughs> each other. <laughs> <laughs> I had a client who was an engineer and he was a spreadsheet king. And I swear to God, I ended up saying to him, if you don't delete that thing and start making some decisions, I am going to take the computer away from you because he was extrapolating out 9%, 10% interest rates. And this is a, a few years ago when we were sitting at a, somewhere around four, three and a half four, so pre-COVID. And the analysis that he'd done over about the last 30 years of interest rate rises and falls was just paralyzing him. He could not make a decision and move forward. And yet he was on a a really strong upper trajectory with his income. So, career wise, he actually was a little bit light on what he thought he was going to be earning, way over the top with interest rates. And I said to his wife, if you don't get rid of that thing, I'm going (laughs) to throw the laptop
2: out the window. He'd be driving her nuts. She was quite relaxed (laughs) and a little bit um, um, bohemian,
1: you know. So, they actually worked really well together, but took a little bit of counseling to move those two forward.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I had a girl who works for Apple. Who still hasn't bought? She's in Northern California, the Bay Area, where Apple's headquarters are. And I have a song because she'll call me like once a month and she rents for $5,800. And so I just say, $5,800 wasted. I like your call. I-, I make it different every time to keep her entertained.
1: She just can't commit.
2: Well, there's got to be some people that just let fear dominate their lives. And unfortunately, life does go on, you know, when you do get older and you do not want to get to our age and not have a property. I think that's sort of fundamentally, you got to be thinking at some point, you got to make a decision. At some point, you got to take action. At some point, otherwise, you are going to get to our age and not have a property. And then you look around all those people and you go, oh, it's not fair. Well, it's actually totally fair. You had the opportunity. It's what you do with that. And I do understand the people that, particularly the numbers-based people, who get very fixated on one number because there is a lot of negativity out there in in the press and there is a lot of fear around debt and there's a lot of talk about it. Particularly in Australia, we've got very high levels of household debt and debt is something you want to avoid but not all debt is bad debt and it's having the concept of what is good debt versus what is bad debt. And this isn't even one of my life hacks but I'm going to throw it in there Maybe I should swap my last life hack because good debt is for on assets, things that actually appreciate over time. Good debt might be your college education. Going into debt to get an education. If you're a plumber, buying a van, going into debt to buy a van, the tools of your trade, that could be good debt because it generates an income as opposed to a car that just looks good. That's exactly it. You don't want to go and buy a Mustang necessarily, not necessarily good debt. And that applies in Australia and in America, I do believe. And obviously a house or a home that you can expect to appreciate in value, so that comes back to making good choices again, is a good debt, going into debt for an asset like that. Bad debt, buying mustangs
1: going on holidays do you not go into debt to go on a holiday shoes (laughs) (laughs) that (laughs) stuff are lovely to have but don't generate an income or increase in value in such a way you could argue that a designer handbag might go up but you know there's probably not a lot of methodology around that but the problem is though they feel
2: safer because they're small amounts of money and that's the paradox So they're not really safer because what they're doing is moving you further away from being in a position to get some good debt. And the good debt applied correctly will actually make your life better and, and return on that investment. So therein lies that little lesson, good debt versus bad debt.
0: That goes right into my next hack, which is understanding that purchasing your home is a forced savings account. We've got a little university here in the United States. You may have heard of it. It's called Harvard.
1: It has come across the pond, yes? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think it was 10 years ago I made a video on YouTube pre-podcast talking about this Harvard study. And the big thing they talked about was the forced savings account. And yeah, here in America, when rates were lower, it was a lot easier to be a straight replacement. So all you had to do was come up with the down payment and the mortgage was the same as the rent. But even there in Australia, understanding that if you decide as a renter I'm going to put money away. And then you go ahead and you save an extra thousand or $2,000 a month and put it away. Well, you have the option. Let's say you go from a 2000 rental to a 4000 mortgage. By putting 4000 into that mortgage, you're using $2,000 that wasn't being used anywhere. That rent money, that initial rent money is being used. And then you're adding another 2000 to it and you're creating a forced savings account. And that, I think, is the mindset for people to understand, okay, they just can't wrap their brain around it. Okay, here I am today. I'm already paying this much in rent. Yes. Yes, you are. How about we put that into an appreciating asset? And sure, then you got to stretch. But look, you were going to talk to someone about a 401k or retirement plan or something anyway. So now, instead of just putting money into just that extra portion, now you can take this big chunk, and put it into an asset that takes you to financial stability.
1: I think the other thing about that is, you can add value to that asset in a way that you can't add value to perhaps a car or or a handbag, which is a more palatable feeling of debt or size of debt, but little bits that you do, if you do them right, they can actually increase. You can add to the value of the property by doing things to it. So it is something that can be molded and it can influence to an extent or to a degree what that property is worth over time, particularly in Australia where there is quite a it's not so much a price per square meter or square foot, I apologize, David, that things are largely
0: sold on. No, no, no. We're the ones that have decided we're doing our own thing. The rest of the world uses that system. We moved on.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just that you guys haven't caught up, isn't it? We used to be imperial. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We tried in the 70s and they shot it down. When I was a kid, I learned about centimeters and meters. Yeah. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's tens. Yeah. Uh, in tens. But ten. yes. <laughs> well, we're Americans. Let's make it confusing and make no sense. Um, <laughs> so it's so interesting. Do you say sweat equity? Do your realtors say that? That is
1: absolutely a term that is used. Yeah. Adding value in renovating uh, sweat equity.
0: Americans are nuts for their do-it-yourself home improvement shows. We have a cable channel that I think that's all they run 24 hours a day, which is great for people to understand it. What I don't like is that they go for only $10,000 and I'm like, wait a minute, you brought in a professional. What about his labor cost? That just never gets mentioned in the show.
2: Or it's the sponsors. The reason it only costs ten thousand dollars is because the blinds are provided free by the sponsor and yeah. the paint was provided free, provided free by the sponsor, et cetera, et cetera. It's like I'm yelling at a television. That's unrealistic. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think there are lots of shows that us realtors yell at. So <laughs> but that's the point. It's I was just gonna say that's the point. It's helping to educate and helping people to understand that okay, you might think this, that's wonderful, but come here, let's talk to your mom for a minute let me give you the real story. And the real story is not as bad as the terrible stuff you've been hearing.
2: Notice how we're two moms and an uncle. Like, I wonder why we haven't talked about the dad.
0: (laughs) I love this. You ladies, that's why I said you were my spirit animal. So the present day mindset of the buyers, if you're going to flip that switch, and start thinking about your purchase as you ladies talk about so great as an investment and what we like to call adulting, then one of the things you have to realize is that this purchase is going to be for you. And it's scary right now, but no, you're going to be able to afford it. You're always going to have work. You're always going to get promotions, which means what you talked about was so great maybe mom and dad don't get to make every decision on your purchase. So please, ladies, expand for my audience. <laughs> it
1: was one of our really early episodes, wasn't it, Veronica, we talked about? It's probably the three biggest mistakes, at listening
2: to it your was. dad. Getting, <laughs> getting property advice from your dad. <laughs> Too many people defer to their father. And, of course, the old alpha male thing where the dad must know, the head of the family, all that sort of palaver, and it's like, Actually, we've all moved on as a society, hopefully. Well, we're still in the process, unfortunately. There's still not true equality everywhere, but there should be. But Dad doesn't always know best just because he's got the loudest voice and just because he's sort of a bit more opinionated, he's been allowed to get away with it for a long time. If this rings true for your family, then think, hang on a minute, Dad's only bought two houses in his lifetime. Why should he be the expert? And the last one was 15 years ago. Yeah. Because he owns it today. doesn't mean he's an expert. And what we see, particularly here in Sydney, where I live, we have an auction culture for property. Large proportion of our properties are sold at auction, which is a bizarre concept for most other countries in the world, definitely in the US, right? So you have an auction, you've got all these people line up, they've registered a bid and they're all, and I love going to whether I'm bidding at them or whether I'm just a spectator and I've written a book on auctions. So that's how much I'm interested in auctions. And what I love is watching the Alpha dad bid for their son or daughter. And it's like, can you swear on your podcast, David, because I'm going to go, if you're going to use this audio, dick
0: swinging. They're just out there dick swinging, right? No. I just listened to that episode and you censored yourself on your own episode. You said, I don't think I'm allowed to say this, but I knew what you meant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you see, this sort it of is, posturing. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, yeah, it it's is absolute there's two dads. Dick swinging. And if you've and ever so been at an auction where there's two dads, wow, I event. know. <laughs> I've seen the adult children
2: say to dad, stop bidding, please. It's over my limit. <laughs> Don't worry, son. I'll help you because I'm alpha dad. <laughs> Don't you worry. We'll just keep bidding. We can win. We're going to win. We're going to beat these guys. That's it. <laughs> Beaten to a pulp and overpay. Good on you, alpha dad. It's just <laughs> this sort of attitude. It's so funny and it comes out really often. It's often enough for me to have written about really the testosterone bitter. But there's this definite sort of the dad thing. I've very rarely seen a mum behave quite the same in public, I have to say.
1: <laughs> no, she's usually the one saying, oh, honey, I don't
2: think they should be paying. Kevin, stop it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kevin,
2: can you stop these, right, we'll Kevin? All right, honey, we sell some shares. What? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's so interesting that you say that and I, I try not to – When I heard you talking about this, because I think, Megan, you said that you had someone like overpay a hundred grand because they were alpha-dadding for one of your properties or something. It
1: was actually an Aussie expat who was buying a a place to move back to. And it was, look, the worst one that I was involved with was over $200,000 over what we had appraised the property at and they'd set their limit at. And he just kept going, bid, bid, bid. And I pulled up the auction and, and said to him, you need to take a moment, take a really deep breath. And he said, I will win this. It doesn't matter what it takes. And I looked at his wife and she said, oh, I've lived like, I've lived with
0: this forever.
1: And, <laughs> and I kept having to get him to sign increases on bid limits. And
0: <laughs> Oh my gosh. So in America, it's so interesting that you say that we have a different win culture. Well, the same alpha competitive culture, the thing that American real estate agents talk about is dads are inspection deal killers. Uh There's a thing that they talk about. There's like all the memes, like they've got two pictures of before and after a realtor, all happy on the way to an inspection with first time buyers. And then the next one is them just like crying horrible, you know, over a big bottle of liquor because they found out dad's coming to the inspection. Uh
2: So dad's like the expert that has to pick it apart. Is that yeah. what happens? Yeah.
0: But what's really interesting is i never put it together. It's they have to win. They have to win that So they deal. know more. They have yeah. to be able to show they know more and then be able to tear the house apart. And we say this all with fun and love as your uncles and mums. But really, 15 years ago, two deals. Well, first of all, if you haven't done a purchase of a home in the last 15 days, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> and second of all, hopefully your representative has bought and sold two homes in the last two weeks, let alone 15 years. So God bless them. But unless they're going to come over and brief like the inspection killers, you know, I'll say to the dad, that's great. That's fantastic. What weekend can you come over and fix that? <laughs> Cause you know it all. Oh, knowing dad. <laughs> So,
1: Veronica, you touched on this a little bit before. I'm going to say it's never too late to start. You said if you get to our age, it might be a little bit too late, but any time up until that. No, it's too late to make a mistake. Mistake, fair enough. Yeah, you can't recover from your mistake if you do it at our age. (laughs) So it's not too late to start. It doesn't matter whether you're 21. I was 21 when I bought my first house, but I got my family involved and we did it in a way that actually worked for all of us. But, you know, first job out of university was on a low wage, but I believed in my trajectory, my income trajectory was going to go in the right direction and that was what I really pegged it to. But the average age of a 1st home buyer in Australia is 35. That's based on the most recent census and that's up from 26 in the 1960s. So we are definitely getting older and, Veronica, you and I did a podcast about the anatomy of a 1st home buyer a a few episodes ago. I think it was episode 89. Check that one out. But in the US, I think, David, it's 36 is the average age of a 1st home buyer now?
0: Yeah, same thing. Ours went up from 34 to 36 this year, but we have the same thing years ago. It was in the 20s.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And There's travel, there's establishing careers, there's moving around and being a lot more mobile, not so much during COVID because that is an anomaly, but it is a reason that the average age, but there's also the fear factor, and people do have that fear factor of wanting to commit to the long-term and the fear of what if I do make a mistake. But I think, you know, my hack is it's not too late. We have students who are in their 40s and I helped a first-time investor who was in their mid-40s. So they said, look, we need to do something, but they needed to make sure that their strategy was right for their age group and they had to understand that their tolerance for risk was different to what it might have been in their 20s because they didn't have that big runway. So, leaving it longer will narrow your options significantly, but it's not too late. So, if you're listening to this and you are 40, it's not too late. You just have to do it a little bit differently and with a bit of a different strategy to make sure that you're managing for a much shorter timeframe.
0: I had a listener who I ended up interviewing on my podcast, 59 and a half, and she was an academic and lived the humble life, a grad student and then published author And of course, because our society is so wonderful, she got paid peanuts to do this and eventually realized that as she was getting to this point in her life, whether it was medical or what she was going to need to do to take care of herself, that purchasing something and having it, again, utilizing our American wonderful system fixed, that having that payment stable since her income was about to be fixed through our social security system she could take her spreadsheet and write it out for the next 30 years and know exactly what she was going to pay and what she was going to get. And she was fantastic. God bless her. She thought I was hip. I laughed at that, but I was like, <laughs> sure I am, sweetie. Love you. Oh, ya. young
2: fellow, you. <laughs> <laughs> and We had someone write in to us that is in their seventies. Now, not exactly a first home buyer, uh, granted, but still a listener. And I'm just thrilled to be able to help anybody really, but you know, how cool, it's young at heart, you know, but I totally agree with you, Megan, it's not too late as long as you can afford it. So it's that thing about your example there, David, with, you know, if you've got a pension and you've got a fixed interest rate, you can get the mortgage and you can afford that and that makes sense. And I think a lot of people particularly if they've had kids and through those child-rearing years, they may not have been able to afford it and got kid expenses, education expenses and all the rest of it. Once you get through that, that changes, potentially creates opportunities that way as well. So sometimes do people do make sacrifices in terms of owning their own property until when they've got more cash flow freed up and less of those other responsibilities. So, yes, we are great encouragers of particularly older women because the fastest growing cohort of homelessness in this country is actually single women over the age of 50. So we would like to help prevent that by getting more women into property ownership as well. So totally on board with you with that hack, Megan.
0: And I think that falls right into the what we we're talking about with the present day mindset and understanding that life will ebb and flow. And you can wake up one day, it was really funny, you were just talking about the cash flow increase that a parent will get into their system when their child finishes university or they move out of the house. Here in America, we start at grade one public education, but a lot of people do preschool and preschool is a privatized paid. And I talk to a lot of young first-time homebuyers who are so freaked out about it. And then I let them know, like, how old is little Johnny? Well, you're about to get $800 a month next year when he goes into what we call kindergarten here, because that's free. And understanding those ebbs and flows of where you are, it's never too late because you're going to either be making more or you're going to have more cash flow or something's going to change and you're going to be in a position, as long as you're talking to the right people, to figure out the right plan that can work for your lifestyle moving forward.
2: Which goes back to what you were saying at the beginning about, somewhere in there, about the support crew, your support team that getting the right advice. And I love the fact that you've got your podcast, we've got ours, that there's this free information out there. And obviously for us, if you want to do our course, you'd have to pay for that because that's the way our system works in America. The whole, you get a broker for free in America. And so you can get a free education actually on David's website as well. If you're buying in America, it's a totally different system because in Australia, it's very much user pays around buying property. But also when you go to sell it, you're not paying quite so much in your fees to your selling agent as well. Because anyway, that's a whole other topic, a whole other podcast. We're so thrilled to all get together and run through these Gen Xer life hacks for you guys. We hope you appreciate it. And if you really like hearing from David, then let us know and maybe we'll do another joint episode at some point in the future. Thank you so much, David. It's been great.
0: Absolutely. And I can tell you as a completely unbiased, just random guy, from all the way around the world, if you want to be a first-time buyer, the number one thing that everybody has ever told me is, boy, I wish I started planning earlier. I don't know what you gals are charging, but whatever it is, listeners out there, pay them three times as much, and you will save 10 times. Because the people who plan for six or 12 months before they buy and getting the wisdom of these two mums, it's something that there aren't a lot of people doing it, and the real reason to you listeners out there is because people in real estate, they want to make the big bucks, but what you girls are doing and what you're, and you're helping people, it's not going to make you rich. And I know that. And the people out there need to understand that whatever the cost is, you're going to make it all back. And that is a straight up, they didn't tell me to say that. I'm just actually, because I'm trying to get people out here to listen to my podcast. Cause I'm just one weird guy going, I messed up. You shouldn't do that. Give me a microphone. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you, David, for that as well. (laughs) lovely. Thank you for your observations. We'll hopefully see you again soon.
0: Thanks, girls. That was amazing. I could have talked to those ladies for two or three more hours, and hopefully we will. I want to get them back on the podcast sometime. I hope that you understand what we're talking about, the present-day mindset. It doesn't mean change your mindset, be successful. It means when you're thinking about buying a home, just thinking in the current terms of today- is going to hinder you. Open your mind. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Tons of great stuff at howtobuyahome.com. You can check it out anytime. Do me a favor, jump on Reddit, talk about the show, go to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review, or of course, you can go to Spotify and leave a review as well. 2023 is going to be the year of the homebuyer, folks, especially your first-timers. So get on it, start planning, whether you can take advantage in January or December. The more planning you do starting right now at the end of 2022, the better position you'll be in. And I can tell you, you can do this.